a pour is almost like a, a die in dice, and that's where we get the word Purim. It's the retelling of the story of how lots were cast and that the Jewish people were saved through the unseen hand of God, even in something as simple as the rolling of a dice in the preservation and the saving of the Jewish people. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and Christian lens. We've done a lot of different episodes on Jewish holidays before, but today we're going to talk about one that you may or may not have heard of, which is called Purim. So let's discuss. So Ezra, let's start with what exactly does that word mean? Purim, if we say it like uh, in, a, in a good, and my wife's Israeli, so she would say Purim, you know, in her best rolled R, kind of that French style. But anyway, lots of different ways to say it, but it's this obscure Jewish holiday, not so obscure in the Jewish community because it's anticipated. It's kind of party time. Uh, why is it a time for celebration? More on that in this podcast. But maybe some of you are going, look, 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 I know the Jewish holidays. I understand Hanukkah. It's around Christmas time. I understand Passover. It's around Easter time. What's Purim? What the heck does that uncomfortable word mean, first of all? And what's the significance? And it's actually a retelling of the entire book of Esther. So Purim comes out of the book of Esther in the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible, as we call it in the Jewish world, because in the Jewish world, there is no New Testament, at least not one that's believed to be part of the word of God. So first of all, before we even jump in, Carly, I'm remembering like growing up, you know, my dad is uh, is a New Yorker. And I remember, you know, whenever he would get kind of impatient or my brother or I were taking too long to get ready to go to Sam's Club or what, my dad would throw his hands up in the air and he'd go, we're going to be here till Purim, like as though to say forever, like Purim would never come. And then we would always joke. So anyway, uh, my brother and I, you know, have an annual trend tradition now of uh, around Purim. One or the other of us will text each other and say, we're going to be here till Purim. Like anyway, it's probably funnier in my mind than it is for our listeners. But my Jewish American life growing up. Anyway, so Purim is the story of Esther and the story of Mordecai and the story of Haman. So I'm not going to sum. I'm not going to go through the entire story, but we'll summarize a little bit. But if you want to know the whole story, read the book you may never have read in the Bible called Esther. I promise you'll find it tucked in there somewhere in your Old Testament, and uh, it's worth a read. So, what does the actual word Purim mean, though? Is that like a Hebrew word that has some type of meaning? It's either a Hebrew word or it's kind of an ancient Persian word. You know, this ancient Semitic kind of kind of idea. But the word Purim in Hebrew, when you have im at the end of something, that means plural. So the singular there is a pur, and pur, p-u-r, if we're going to transliterate it, is the idea almost like a, a die in a set of dice. And so a pur is something that you would throw or toss, and whichever side it fell on determines the outcome. And what's the context there? Well, if you dig into the book of Esther a little bit, you'll find a man named Haman, who, you know, Haman is sort of a type for a lot of anti-Semitic figures throughout history. But Haman is this special advisor to Ahasuerus, this Persian ruler and Haman, for a number of reasons, hated the Jewish people. He was fiercely anti-Semitic and at some point became committed to their destruction. And so in his attempts to 
in essence, determine a date of annihilation for the Jewish people, Haman would cast this poor and hoping, you know, hoping that it would turn out that the poor will land on the side where in essence he had a green light to annihilate the Jewish people. And it never did. And it never did. And it never did. And so there's this idea of the unseen hand of God, even in something as simple as the rolling of a dice or the casting of a poor, purim, in the preservation and the saving of the Jewish people. So a poor is almost like a, a die and dice to summarize again. And that's where we get the word purim. It's the retelling of the story of how lots were cast and that the Jewish people were saved through unlikely and even seemingly miraculous means. So like you said, if if our audience wants to know more about the book of Esther, they should go read it. But if you had to kind of summarize for everyone listening the story of Esther in today's world, how would you explain it? Yeah, well, let me start with um, kind of a very used and some would argue overused Bible phrase. Uh, There's so many Bible phrases, right, that have made their way into kind of colloquial English. And one of them is this, for such a time as this, right? We've all heard it. We use it. Usually we use it in kind of like a self-flattering way, right? Like, well, I'm going to do such and such for such a time as this. You know, and we say it a little dramatically, like I'm going into the fight. And the context of that actually was something that Esther said. So Esther is this Jewish girl the, the niece of a man named Mordecai, who also is kind of in Persia uh, in this position of influence in the Persian Empire. Well, why were there Jews in the Persian Empire? If you remember the biblical account, Jews were exiled because of our disobedience and end up in Persia, in the Assyrian Empire, in Babylon for this period of time. And rather than, uh, you know, we see this so often in history kind of as a theme with the Jewish people, rather than sort of disappearing into society, identity was maintained and there's some assimilation. And through that assimilation, Jewish people rise to these positions of influence, in some cases, tremendous influence. And so you have this Persian ruler who's being influenced by an anti-Semitic figure, as we said, named Haman or Haman in Hebrew. And Mordecai, who sort of has audience with the king and has kind of an awareness and ear to the ground as to what's happening in the empire, catches wind of this and is in a panic, right? He, he's fasting, he's praying, he's confused. He's just learned that as soon as this poor lands on, we'll say, the wrong side, the Jewish people are going to be destroyed. By edict, by order of the king, influenced by Haman, there's going to be an annihilation of the Jewish people throughout the Persian Empire, which at that time was pretty much the known world. So Mordecai becomes aware of this and, you know, is thinking, what do I do? What do I do? I have this kind of insider information, but who's going to get audience with the king? I can't because if I go in, I'll be struck dead. The king's not going to hear anything from me. And he thinks about his niece, Esther. Hadassah is her name uh, in Hebrew, actually. And to this day, outside Jerusalem, there's a hospital. Maybe you've heard of it. Very famous hospital, the most famous hospital in the in the nation of Israel called Hadassah Medical Center. And it comes from that name, Hadassah or Esther. Uh, my wife was actually born at Hadassah, believe it or not. I'm not going to say what year or uh, there would be no talking in the house for a period of time. So anyway, was born at some undefined time in the past at Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem, Israel. So uh, Esther or Hadassah is sort of recruited by her uncle unknowingly, unwillingly. And Mordecai is saying, in essence, Esther, I'm asking you to go influence the leader of Persia to influence Ahasuerus towards the saving of your people 
to, to gain audience with him and to tell him that this destruction is unwise at best and disastrous at worst. And Esther's reluctant. How am I going to get in? You know, in essence, how is this kind of working class girl in, in Persian Empire going to get audience with the king of the known world? And Mordecai says to her, look, if you don't do this, the Lord will raise up someone else. In essence, Mordecai has this faith. It doesn't say the Lord will raise up, actually. It says someone else will be raised up. And Mordecai's faith here that by whatever means God is going to preserve the Jewish people is incredible. But he says then to Esther, you know, somebody else will be raised up. But who knows, Esther, but that you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And the idea in Hebrew, it's a very famous expression for such a time as this is lazman hazeh, for such a time as this. And the context there, right, it's not really self-flattering and it's not this heroic act. The idea, interestingly, is I'm willing to go to my death if necessary for something that has to be done. And so it's the idea of pending tribulation, right? Esther's very aware that to try and get audience with the king of Persia is death if he doesn't look upon her favorably. But Mordecai's saying, perhaps in the providence of God, you're being given the opportunity that may lead to death or it may lead to a miraculous deliverance, lazman hazeh, for such a time as this. And so I think sometimes we misuse the term, Carly. It's less heroic and more just taking stock of, am I willing to die for something I believe with all my heart? And am I willing to die for a people I love? Uh, that's the idea for such a time as this. But anyway, we know the story goes on that Esther is, in fact, granted audience with the king. And through a series of events, again, read the book of Esther, makes the king aware in a very dramatic way that one of his closest advisors has, in essence, tricked the king into signing a law which spells out the annihilation of the Jewish people, including Esther, who the king now loves and esteems very highly. And so when the king hears about this, he's furious, confronts Haman, Haman is hanged. We, we know the story. And there's the salvation and deliverance of the Jewish people from certain death. And there's great rejoicing throughout the empire among Jewish people. And so Purim to this day is a season of great rejoicing on the Jewish calendar. It's about a month. It's actually exactly a month before uh, Passover on the Jewish calendar. And it's a time of kind of letting your hair down, if you will, and celebrating you know, as we say, they tried to kill us. We won and we survived. Let's eat. So more on what we actually eat in a couple minutes, but eating and drinking and making merry because Am Israel Chai, the Jewish people live. That's the story of Purim. So before this podcast started, Ezra and I were actually talking about how as kids, both of our families watched Jeopardy. Whenever there's some type of Bible question, our families look at us and say, well, you should be the one to answer that question. I was telling Ezra that recently I was watching Jeopardy and there was a question specifically about the book of Esther and the answer was Mordecai. So we have a trivia question for those listening right now. I'll pause after I ask it so you can kind of guess inside your head before we give you the answer. But about the book of Esther, what is not mentioned in the book of Esther that is mentioned in every other book in the Bible? So imagine, you know, the Jeopardy music playing That's right now. I'm not going to sing. Da, 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 da. This is why this isn't a singing show, by the way. If anybody exactly. wasn't sure, now you know. And yep. that's one of the last times that'll happen. <laughs> so the answer is God. Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. So Ezra, because Esther is such a Jewish book, why is this book in the Bible when it doesn't mention God at all? Can you tell that God is somehow involved? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And the answer, let me let me be super blunt. 
I have no idea. And even, you know, the most learned Jewish scholars and Bible scholars aren't sure why, how on earth is it, or how in heaven is it that a book made it into the canon of scriptures that does not mention God? And all the more so that seems to be that the uh, the staying of the death order for the Jewish people, like the, the um, delaying of it until such time as Esther could gain audience with the king and expose the plot of Haman and Haman is hanged and the Jewish people are delivered, is delayed by something as seemingly ordinary and uneventful as the casting of a poor or the throwing of a set of dice. How on earth is it? And, you know, we could do a whole like sermon series right on that. But think about our own lives, right? If we think back, it's hard to see things like, right, we all have our anxieties, we have our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our dreads. But if we can take a moment, Jewish or Gentile, and look back and say, wow, things that just seemed like an ordinary circumstance to me five, 10 years ago, actually now I can see the hand of God working all things together for good. And if that seemingly ordinary thing wouldn't have happened or would have not happened or you know, something didn't happen that we thought was going to happen. And we say, if it would have happened, my life would have been different and I would have been in a real bad way. So I'll appeal to our listeners, Carly, in that sense of the name of God isn't mentioned and the means by which the Jewish people are delivered seem ordinary. And yet we see the extraordinary nature of people at a working class level rising to a position of prominence and being given through almost miraculous means favor and audience with a key world leader to stop the destruction of God's chosen people. And we see the hand and the providence and the fulfilled promises of God all over it. Because whether God's mentioned or not in Esther, if the Persian Jews would have been entirely annihilated, then everything God had promised to the Jewish people, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, to the prophets, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, before that time would have been null and void. Because we would have seen God isn't capable of keeping his promise to preserve and protect our people. And yet, Am Israel High, here we are. And so the idea of Purim isn't just a suggestion, it's actually a commandment we see at the end of the book of Esther. Again, read it. It takes like 20 minutes, super easy read, but it's a fun one and an impactful one. At the end of the book of Esther, we see that gifts were sent throughout all the Persian empire, Jewish families celebrating, and there was actually this commandment, which remains to this day, that every year on this time on the Jewish calendar, which falls, you know, like end of February to mid-March, depending on how the calendar lines up each year, that this story should be retold. And actually, if you come from a Jewish background, you may have heard your parents say this, or you may say it yourself, and you have no idea why you say it. Like in American English, Carly, we say the whole enchilada, right? It's the whole enchilada, meaning like it's the whole deal. In American kind of Yiddish or Jewish culture, we say the whole Megillah. I remember my dad used to say, you know, they didn't just give me one knife. It cost, you know, they gave me the whole Megillah. They gave me the whole set. Uh, at that time, it was Sam's Club. We weren't cool enough to be Costco members, so it was Sam's. My Jewish American life, more on that another time. But the whole Megillah, what does that mean? Well, if you've ever heard it, and now if this is ever on Jeopardy, you'll know the answer. The Megillah is actually the Hebrew word for the scroll. So the, the scroll or the book of Esther is the Megillat Esther or the, the Megillah of Esther. And there's this commandment in Jewish culture, in Jewish faith, every year you read the whole Megillah. 
You read the whole scroll, the whole book of Esther from start to finish, and that's an essential part of how you celebrate the holidays. Because it's kind of boring at times to read it year after year, we sometimes do these plays and dramatizations and people dress up in costumes and whatever. But in that way, it's kind of like Halloween. But the whole Megillah is like the whole enchilada, and it literally means the whole scroll. We rehearse the whole story of the salvation and the deliverance of the Jewish people every year. Yeah, and if, you, if you've if you never been to one of those plays, I don't know, Ezra, if Messianic congregations put those on, but it's it's super interesting. There's cheering at certain points and booing. And if if you think, you know, reading the book of Esther is something you're not interested in, it's like you can basically watch it and see it acted out. And since working at Jewish Voice, I've seen it now every year for many years, but um, it, it's like, it's just something I never knew even existed. Right, right. It's a fun thing. And I'm sure Messianic Jewish congregations, other Jewish synagogues uh, do this. Like I said, it's kind of a commandment, certainly at least a tradition that you do some kind of dramatic reading of uh, the book of Esther. And uh, it's a lot of fun to do. So besides the dramatic reading, how do you celebrate Purim? Yeah, you know, it's it's a time of celebration. So the rabbis, you know, some of our more conservative listeners may turn this off when they hear this, but don't give us another chance. I promise we'll be better. Uh, the rabbis say that you should get inebriated enough on Purim that you can't tell the difference between Mordecai and Haman. In essence, you can't tell the difference between a good guy and a bad guy. We do not suggest that. That is not the official position of a Jew and a Gentile discussed, nor of Jewish Voice Ministries International. Disclaimer aside, the idea is you really celebrate and it's the funnest night of the year. You you stay up all night, you read the story, you read the whole Megillah, you dress up in costumes, you eat, drink, and be merry. Why? Just because that's a fun thing to do and it's a super spreader event for COVID? No, but because the deliverance of our people is worth celebrating. That's the idea. So Ezra, since you often uh, drink coffee to stay up all night, is that something you have to do to be able to uh, celebrate Purim? I do, in fact, drink coffee, not just to stay up all night, but to stay up and make it through every day, Carly. And we have some fantastic coffee we want to offer our listeners uh, who want to get involved with us, tell them a little bit about that. So we uh, we offer the Lost Tribes Coffee, which we've talked about on many of our podcasts. And uh, right now we're doing a special where we're giving away a bag of the coffee for free each month. You can sign up to enter either on our website, ajewandagentiledisgust.org, or you can simply text JG, J for Jew, G for Gentile, to 474747, and you'll be entered to win. And you can enter each month. Um, we're doing a free drawing each month. So Ezra, you mentioned that um, on Purim you dress up in costumes and basically kind of party all night. Is that if for, you know, an American Christian, that sounds like Halloween to me. I'm pretty sure they're not related in any way, but would you say it's similar in that way? In terms of the costumes and the celebrating and the copious amounts of sugar, uh, I would say it's similar. I think you know, hopefully in a, in a wholesome sense. And, you know, you have people in all parts of the spectrum of Judaism worldwide, you know, Israelis, it's like nobody comes to work the day after the night of Purim because, well, they're in no position to come into the office at 8 a.m. But that's another story. Anyway, don't quote us on that. <laughs> anyway, it's a night of a lot of celebrating. But I think they're, they're different, you know, Halloween and Purim in the sense that Halloween is, you know, there's all kinds of feelings about that in the Christian community and the Jewish believing community, you know, is there kind of 
a lot of darkness associated with that day? Yeah, there is. Purim, there's not supposed to be darkness other than the story of the darkness of enduring anti-Semitism and attempts to annihilate Jewish people. And I think, you know, but but ultimately the, the unseen hand of God or the seen hand of God, depending on the time in history, delivering and preserving his people. And, you know, something kind of to get a little bit more serious for a moment you know, I'm just, I'm realizing, you, you, I don't care what news channel you watch and what they're saying. I'm just more and more aware, Carly, that, you know, the story of Esther in a way is the story of somebody who hated another group of people speaking loud enough and long enough to people of influence and using his platform to influence leaders until everybody was convinced that if we can just eliminate this group of people, our problems will be over. And we see that repeated throughout history, you know, the Spanish Inquisition, the Holocaust, the pogroms, but not not exclusive to the Jewish people. I think any time you see in world history and maybe in current events, people using their positions of authority to speak loud enough and long enough to convince the public that if we can just eliminate this group, this race, this culture, this particular religious practice, this nationality, if we can just get rid of them or silence them, all of our problems will be over. And, you know, I think the message, one of the messages of Esther, you know, even beyond the history of the Jewish people is that that's probably not pleasing to the heart of God and that his heart, as much as, you know, he's chosen the Jewish people to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And, you know, we talk on this podcast and ask our listeners to pray that that would be true. We understand the ultimate fulfillment of the destiny of the Jewish people is to receive uh, a reconciled relationship with God through Jesus, the promised Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the world. But Jewish or not Jewish, peoples have destinies. And peoples, I don't care what country they come from, what skin color they are, what their ethnic or cultural heritage or baggage, have a destiny in God. And we need to remember our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. So if we find ourselves in this season believing those voices of authority and influence saying, hey, this particular group of humanity needs to just go away or be quiet. I just want to challenge us. I'm challenging myself. Think again, because that's not ultimately where the battle lies. Yeah, I'm sure that definitely hits home, especially in our culture today. Um, Back to celebrating Purim. You know, one of the things I know that you talked about for every Jewish holiday is you eat a lot. Right. Um, I have learned on Purim that there's a specific cookie that everyone eats, uh, which is like my new favorite word, which is hamantaschen. So tell everyone about that specific Purim food and any other foods that you eat on the holiday. Yeah, super. I wish I was eating one right now. When we record another Purim show, I'm going to have a batch of them right here. Anyway, my mom makes the best hamantaschen, by the way. And if anybody disagrees, send one of yours in and we will send you back an email explaining how my mom's is better. So uh, hamantaschen means Haman's hat or some translation, some language, actually some languages use a word that means Haman's ear. So why did Haman wear a triangular hat? Why did Haman have triangular ears? Nobody really knows. But the point is these triangular cookies filled with poppy or, you know, depending on your, your tradition, apricot, cherry, some countries do savory ones. Here in the States, one of our friends, Carly, makes them with chocolate chips, which is also delish. Anyway, these cookies are to remind us that Haman was hanged and that uh, we survived. Again, they tried to kill us. We miraculously survived. Let's eat. So hamantaschen, the triangular cookies, if you live in any major city in the States, you can probably find them in a local kosher or Jewish bakery and uh, check them out. They're delish. 
So Purim this year, I don't know if this is, seems early, Ezra, but it's actually the night of February 25th. So as a Christian, you know, we've talked a lot about how Christians aren't required to celebrate Jewish holidays, but they're invited to. Sure. So for me as a Christian and for any of our listeners, is this a holiday that we should celebrate? Yeah, you know, it's a little bit, I'll say it's a little bit different than, for example, Passover or Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, in the sense that there isn't this direct kind of Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy biblical commandment to the Jewish people to keep this and this invitation to all the nations. I think that's much more pronounced for some of these bigger holidays. But Purim, again, is still a great opportunity for Christians to join with your Jewish friends, Jewish family members, and celebrate. I would say find out if your Jewish friends or family are doing anything special. If they're not, say, hey, why don't we celebrate Purim? Why don't we have a meal together? Why don't we bake some hamantash? And I'm sure you can, you know, find a recipe on Google. Again, not as good as my mom's, but you know, uh, a valiant effort won't be snubbed. So yeah, it's it's an invitation to celebrate. And I think these days, you know, with shutdowns and quarantines and pandemics and political strife, why not have an opportunity to celebrate the faithfulness of God to the Jewish people and to all of us in our own lives, right? Like we know the enemy spelled out destruction for us and we had no hope. We were under sin and God miraculously delivered us. And sometimes it was as simple as things that just looked like life circumstances happening ordinarily. But we look back and we see the hand of God uh, for goodness and for salvation and for blessing in our lives. And it's a great thing to celebrate. And, you know, if you have family, friends, co-workers from the Jewish community who don't know what you believe, Purim's a great time to talk about it. They may be surprised and even confused a little bit to find that you know the story of Esther because they may not even have read the whole thing in a number of years since they were little kids in the in the synagogue where they went. But it's a great opportunity to have a, a meaningful conversation about the endurance of the Jewish people and how you believe that uh, God's hand is on the Jewish people for blessing. And we're always looking for another reason to celebrate, like you said. Amen. So that's all we have on the topic of Purim today. So thanks so much to our audience for listening. We really appreciate it. As we've mentioned before, this podcast is supported by donations. So if you like what you hear and want to continue listening to this content, um, if you would give us a gift, either one time or a monthly donation, you can do that on our website at a Jew and a Gentile discuss. Org. And as I mentioned, we actually have this Lost Tribes coffee that we offer that you can get as often as you like. Uh, more details on the website. Uh, if you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'd love if you'd leave us a review, share this content with someone you know. You can also follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. Ask us any questions you have. Uh, we'll try to answer them as best as we can. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of A Jew and a Gentile Discuss, and join us next week. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.